will be uh, beginning an exploration and applying um, a thing you might know of called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is given in two places in the Bible, Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And we're going to see, I, I hope and believe, um, that, that this is just one of the most important things we could possibly understand and apply in our lives. I'm going to have you read this with me here in a second. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I've got it for you on the screen. Or I will have it. But I will go ahead and tell you, before, before we, we even get going with this, this Lord's Prayer, I'll kind of switch around my order a little bit. The Lord's Prayer, when it was first given, you know, we just kind of think of it as something Jesus rattled off whimsically, uh, you know, no, no rhyme or reason uh, timing. The Lord's Prayer was given in what I call a prayer drought. There was a prayer drought going on uh, when, when he gave these things. So the, the life-giving, blessing-imparting uh, grace of God that comes through prayer had all but dried up. People weren't engaged in the type of intimate relationship with God that was available to them. People weren't experiencing the power of God in the ways that God desires us to, to see it in our lives and in our world. There was a drought. People were thirsty. They didn't know how uh, to drink it. They didn't know where to find this water. And so what, what I believe that the, the Lord's Prayer is fundamentally is an invitation for these people who were in this type of prayer drought, that their prayers were, were not all that they should be. And I believe it is for us, for me, for you, Christian, an invitation, an invitation to have your prayers transformed to go from a, a prayer drought to a deluge of God's grace poured out through prayer. An invitation not only to have your prayers transformed, but also your life. I'm 100% convinced of this. That the, the Lord's prayer that Jesus gave, rightly understood, rightly applied, will change not only your prayer life, but your, your practical life as well. It might be cut off a little bit. No, it is just on mine. So would you guys join me um, in, in, in reciting this together? This, this, before we start, I'll just tell you, this, this won't be the version you probably see in your Bible. This is kind of uh, just the ESV plus some little helpful things that I think just are more accurate and more helpful for us as we do this. Um, so let, let's recite this together. Follow, follow along with me out, out loud, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Truly, I believe those are some of the most 
important words ever spoken, ever written down, and that we could ever read if we rightly understand them and rightly apply them in our lives. So I'm going to pray right now that God would help us. I mean, I, I desperately want this. I want God to ignite our hearts with a passion for prayer and, and, and with the wisdom to know how to get out of a, a prayer drought if you're in one right now. How we can let God pour out his blessings, his grace on us in, in new ways that we didn't even realize were possible as we use the Lord's Prayer, this, this gift, this invitation from Jesus. So I'm going to pray for that right now. Father God, we do desperately need um, our prayer lives transformed. I, I, for one, know that I want my prayer life to be better. And the reason for that is not just so that I can say I pray more or feel better about myself, but because it is the gift, the invitation you have put before me and before this church that we can come to you in prayer, that our hearts can be right before you, that our lives can be empowered by you, and that the world can change around us through prayer. So God, would you give us a, a holy awe of prayer, this gift of talking with you, and an excitement to do it in our regular lives? God, I just, I know if we are not excited about this, if we are not convinced in our hearts that prayer matters, that applying the Lord's prayer matters, we won't make time for it. We won't give ourselves to it. So God, I pray that you would do this supernatural work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So how is the Lord's prayer an invitation from, from prayer drought to a deluge of God's grace. I, I, I've kind of have broken this up into three ways that this can absolutely just transform so much of your life if we will use the Lord's Prayer as it was intended to be. So the first invitation is this. Let Jesus transform your prayer posture. Let Jesus transform your prayer posture. One of the main reasons that there was a prayer drought going on back in Jesus' day, his earthly ministry, and one of the main reasons there's often prayer droughts in our own lives, in our own churches, is because our posture, our attitude is not correct toward prayer and even toward God in the way that we regard him in prayer. I'm hoping that at this point all of us know, I'm sure you do, that it's not just what you do that matters, but also how you do it, right? You, you can go through the motions, you can do all sorts of actions, uh, but, but if your attitude is not in it, that can actually say more than your words or your actions. I can serve you with my actions, but I can actually be showing that you're just in my way by my attitude. And the same is true for prayer. It's not just that we go through the motions. Our posture, our attitude towards it 
needs to be correct. And I believe that the Lord's Prayer is an invitation to transform our prayer posture. All of these um, that, that we're going to uh, look at here in a moment um, is Jesus is going to show us three wrong prayer postures, and I am guilty of every single one. Maybe one at one time and one another, maybe all three at once. And so where we're going to find this is not necessarily in those words that we just recited, but in the context in which they were recited. So I mentioned to you that the Lord's Prayer is found both in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is the first time the Lord's Prayer is given by Jesus, where he says, pray then like this, and then uh, recites the Lord's Prayer. And Matthew 6 is right in the middle of uh, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where a huge crowd of, of all sorts of people gathered around Jesus to hear him as he was teaching them what it really looked like to be in the kingdom of God. What it looked like to truly be faithful to God. And so we're, we're going to see uh, here in Matthew 6 two different of these postures. And then Luke 11 will show us the third. But look at what he says right before he gives uh, the Lord's Prayer in there in Matthew 6, 5. I'm going to call this one uh, the actor. Matthew 6, 5. He says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites, by the way, um, is the literal word that they used for stage actors back then. That, that was a hypocrite, an actor. We would use the word actor. They used the word hypocrite. Uh, and this is simply a person who is pretending to be someone they are not. So do not be like the hypocrites. He goes on to say, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the, at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. This is startling if we get it. Jesus says, don't be like these actors. Well, what's an actor do? Well, they, they, they pray these long, loud, lavish prayers, making sure that everyone can hear them so they might be seen by others. The purpose for their prayer is to impress other people. I mean, at the very root of how this prayer posture is warped is that they're not actually praying to God. They're praying for an audience of mere humans. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I know I have. Prayed and, and it's, you know, you, you use the right words and make it sound just right. You got to sound a little humble, but also a little godly. At the same. I mean, you got to have that right mixture so that it will be a good show. You know what Jesus says about that type of prayer? You have received your reward. That, that's terrifying to me. The, the, the best possible outcome of one of these prayers is that other people will think highly of you for a moment. And I would just tell you, that's a very weak, foolish reward to seek. The approval of men, the, the, the honor or praise they might give you is, is a flimsy and fleeting reward for our prayers. 
People might be impressed with you one moment and the very next be mocking you. That's a terrible reward to to pursue, a, a terrible reward for your prayers. They have received their reward. I would tell you, on the other hand, that praying with God as your audience pays dividends or rewards that far outweighs the investment. We'll see more of that later. But that, that's our first wrong posture that we may have. And at this moment, we, we got to say, okay, there's a prayer drought going on. And one of the reasons is because some people were mere actors with their prayers. They're just praying in front of people, not praying to God. Now, this second group that we're going to look at that Jesus addresses were at least trying to pray to God. They were addressing their prayer to God, but their view of God was evidently so low and distorted that they felt they could coerce God to do their bidding simply by the words they prayed. I'll try to help you understand this, but I'm calling these the mindless. So you have the actor, and now you have the mindless. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, uh, verses 7 and 8. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So so what's wrong with the posture, uh, the prayer posture of, of the mindless people? Well, look at what Jesus said there. He said, do not heap up empty phrases. Do not heap up empty phrases. What that means is, I mean, the words might be coherent. You might be actually saying real words but they're empty. Your mind is not actually engaged in them, and you're just rattling off these empty phrases, these memorized mantras or even incantations, believing that by the words merely coming out of your mouth or cycling through your mind or whatever, that God will be forced to answer you because you've said the prayers. I mean, look at what Jesus says about these people. He says, uh, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. What's he talking about? Well, in Jesus' day, there were basically, at least in Jesus' eyes, there were basically two religions, okay? There was the Jewish religion that worshipped the one true God. And then there were the Gentile religions that worshipped all their different gods. And Jesus is saying... The Gentiles, they are the ones who heaped up, heap up these empty, mindless phrases, not us. See, see, the Gentiles, with their many gods, they believed that their gods were real and that they were powerful, but they were not very impressed with their gods. Their gods, you can look back at this uh, in history, and even some of them, I guess, still believed in today. Their gods were, were basically whimsical temperamental and dim-witted, but they were powerful. And so you had to say these mantras, these memorized mantras, in order to make that God not lash out on you, or maybe to get that God to give you what you need. They weren't smart. You just had to say the right words and unlock this uh, blessing or whatever. 
Jesus says, do not be like them. I, I see there in, in verse 8, he, he talks about the one God whom we should be praying to is not one that is dim-witted or temperamental. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, so far from being uh, whimsical or dim-witted, the God that we should be praying to already knows what you need. He, he actually already knows the things you're going to pray for, the things you're going to ask Him for. That's this God. He's, he's not dim-witted or weak, not weak, uh, dim-witted or, or whimsical uh, like these false gods that the Gentiles pray to. You say, well then, if God already knows what we need, then why would he want us to pray, for, pray to him? Is it just so we can, you know, heap up a bunch of mindless, memorized, worn out prayers to him? Is that what God is seeking when he tells us to pray? No. Our God is a good, loving father who wants to provide our needs, but he also wants us to engage with him. And to engage with him, we must engage our minds. God wants us to engage our minds and communicate with him because he is rational and relational at his core. I had a, a startling thought as I was um, thinking through this one, the mindless. I was like, man, that sounds like my kids. I mean, I can tell you that they've gotten a little better about it lately, but for a very long time, I could tell you exactly what they were going to pray. Father God, thank you for everything. Thank you. Have a good day today. <laughs> and then help us sleep well. Amen. That, that was their prayer every time. And so my wife and I would be like, hey, girls, try to think, like, what do you want to ask God? What, you know, what, what specifically do you want to thank God for? And, but it was like funny. It was cute that our kids had this memorized prayer that they would rattle off. But, but as I was thinking through this point today, I, I, um, it hit me. I do exactly the same thing. I've got my memorized prayers, my, my phrases that I just throw out there to God. Don't even think about it. God, would you protect me, my family? God, God please just uh, forgive me for all my sin. You know, it, it, but then, then like, you know, go to sleep or whatever. And well, surely God's going to answer those prayers because, well, I said them. This is what the mindless is doing. They're rattling off just memorized set of religious slang and, and expecting that God has to answer because the words came out of our mouth. But that's how the pagans pray. God wants our minds as well as our words. But there is one more that I want us to look at, one more wrong posture of prayer. This one's found in the Luke version. This time it's not during the Sermon on the Mount, but um, right after Jesus prays that he uh, gives them the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus is praying, he's done praying. And then so Luke uh, 11 verse 2 is him giving the Lord's Prayer. But let's look at verse uh, 1 then, Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. You know, I, I was thinking about this and, and even studying it. Why did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray? I mean, did they not grow up in Jewish households? You know, did they not grow up as good little Jews learning to say their prayers? 
certainly they did. At least most of them, I can guarantee you, grew up from a very young age knowing how to pray, much like us if we grew up in a, a Christian family. So why, after Jesus gets done praying, would they say, teach us to pray? I think the answer is this. The disciples watched and heard Jesus pray and recognized that their prayers were very different from his. What made Jesus' prayers so different? I mean, if you look at the, the record of Jesus' prayers, and, and so I'm just assuming this is how he generally prayed and the way he prayed this time. When Jesus prayed, there was a heartfelt passion involved. There was emotion involved. I just imagine, uh, you know, this, this scene of, of the, Jesus says, hey, let, let's stop here and pray. And, you know, the disciples get done with their memorized, you know, kind of heartless prayers and, and uh, the, you know, they, they say those prayers and then they, then they get done and they look up and, you know, there's Jesus and he's just pouring out his heart. One moment he's smiling to God and, and, and joy and the next moment he's crying and, and crying out to God. And I imagine them being like, are we, are we even doing the same thing? His prayers look so different from ours. In their day, it was emphasized that, that God was, was, was to be revered, to be respected and feared. And there, there's something right to that. But it, that, that was at the, the cost of int intimacy and, and their hearts being poured out to God. And, and with Jesus, we see that the one doesn't negate the other. You can have a great reverence for God yet still pour out your heart to him. Say, so why, why is this so important? Well, God doesn't just want to be your audience. He doesn't just want your mind. He also wants your heart. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I mean, that, that's this idea of just throwing it all at his feet. God wants your heart heart because God wants a real heart level heart shaping relationship with you and so uh, all three of these the the actor the mindless the heartless these were incredibly common in their day evidently because these are the things that that are referenced by Jesus and and I can tell you again in my own life I've seen all of these things happen and I say oh a prayer drought. And so I believe that the Lord's prayer is an invitation to have our posture changed in prayer. To set aside these vain, worthless, empty ways of praying and take up the true prayer that Jesus teaches. Now, the question becomes, well, how? <laughs> how do I get my prayer posture to change? Well, I think the way that we get our prayer posture to change is to let Jesus transform your prayer pattern. Your, your pattern, the, the content of what you pray um, can, can largely influence your prayer posture, your attitude toward prayer. Now, we, we uh, recited the Lord's Prayer together earlier, 
And I think that's awesome. I think we should read, recite, and memorize the Lord's Prayer. And that's a very good first step. But it's not the only step to using the Lord's Prayer, this gift, this invitation that Jesus gave us. We, mean, we need to move on to actually applying it in our lives. And what I would submit to you is that the Lord's Prayer is a pattern. It is a grid through which we filter our prayers, that it guides our prayers, not necessarily word for word, but as, as a compass guides us in the right direction through the fog or through a forest, so the Lord's Prayer guides us through our own fleshly fog uh, to pray to our great God. Again, <laughs> this is just, an, I guess, another prayer posture I could mention would be the genie God, you know, that all I do is rattle off a list of here's my needs, here's my wants. All right, God, do it. I'm done. Jesus wants to change our prayer pattern so that it will change our prayer posture. By the way, you might say, well, how do, we, how do you know that we're not just supposed to recite the Lord's Prayer? Like, this is the prayer we must pray, word for word, and that's the only acceptable prayer. Well, I'll, I'll give you a few reasons why, why I know that is. First, Jesus has just told them not to heap up empty phrases, right? Don't, don't just heap up memorized, thoughtless uh, phrases. Actually pray, so it would not make much sense for Jesus to then give them a new prayer to memorize, to simply pray mindlessly, right? So that's not the purpose. The, the next reason I would say that is, you will never once find in the Bible someone praying the Lord's Prayer, word for word. Like, you, you won't find it. You'll, by the way, you will find some similar ones that follow patterns, but you will never once see Jesus or any of the disciples actually <clears throat> sit down and, or whatever and, and pray the Lord's prayer. Another thing I would mention is the Matthew version is slightly different than the Luke version. So if this is the prayer, why would this one be slightly different? Now, the hearts behind it are exactly the same uh, in, in each passage. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they, they are slightly different, so that wouldn't make sense that they're the only acceptable prayer if there are actually two versions of this only acceptable prayer. But finally, in our text, we see that the very wording of Jesus in Matthew 6 makes it clear that this was a prayer for pattern, not a script to pray. Not, not just a word-for-word -word verbatim, this is your prayer, you mindlessly move through it. Matthew 6, 9 says, pray then like this. He doesn't say, Pray these exact words. He doesn't even just say pray this. He says pray like this. Pray in this way. Pray similar to this, you could say. So what he's giving in the Lord's Prayer is not words to merely be recited, but words that shape our prayers, that guide our prayers. Okay, then, well, how are we supposed to use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern and as a guide in our lives. I, I, I don't want this to be like too set in stone, but I think this is a very helpful pattern. This has been passed down from uh, Martin Luther, the, the great Protestant reformer. This is what he did in his prayer times. Twice a day, 
This is how he let, he took Jesus very seriously to, to let him guide his prayers. So here's what you can do. First, recite a portion of the Lord's Prayer. So if you have it memorized, you can just recite a portion. Our Father who is in heaven, you know, and you kind of stop. If, by the way, if you don't have it memorized, there's nothing wrong with reading it. Second, meditate on the significance of that portion. So they're not just mindless words, right? Our Father who is in heaven. We're going to get there next week, but those are some incredible words. You have the God who is in the heavens, creator of the heavens and the earth, in fact, who I'm now calling my Father. The God who I have sinned against, yet who has made me his child. And so you're meditating on the significance of that. Then you pray in response to that portion. God, it is wondrous that I am speaking to you right now. I know that I don't deserve to be able to call you Father. I know that you can do anything, and one thing you could easily do is just destroy me, but instead you adopted me. I mean, you're letting it shape your prayer. And so once you, you kind of say everything you feel you need to say in response to that meditation, you then repeat with the very next section. Our Father who art in heaven, okay, next, hallowed be your name. And, and then you, so you begin again to think and meditate on it, then to let that shape your prayers, the words that come out of your mouth, the words that come out of your heart. And you pray it to God. And this, Jesus says, is, is, is how we should pray. He says, you, you've, you guys are in a prayer drought. Your prayer posture is all wrong. But maybe if you will truly engage your minds, engage your hearts, and, and be engage with God rather than your audience, then your posture would change. I mean, think about it. You have the, the actor. I told you about them. They're, they're praying for the audience of others. They want to be, their, their reward is that others think highly of them. If they are truly praying, letting, letting the Lord's prayer shape, shape their prayer, I don't think they'll get very far without being humbled. Our Father who art in heaven. Okay. Why do I care what these people think of me? God, you are in the heavens and I'm talking to you. Why would I choose to talk to these mere mortals or try to impress them, please them? They, they're right here. They, they're flesh and blood like me. They're, they're finite. They're broken, flawed. Like, why, why am I worried about them? Hallowed be thy name. Oh, so it's supposed to be about your glory, not my glory. I mean, it, it, you can't get very far in the Lord's Prayer without being humbled if you're actually thinking about it, if you're actually engaging with it. The mindless becomes engaged. You know why this is so great? Because I will bet that 90% of us, if we were honest, would say, I start praying and I'm going, but then before you know it, I don't even... Oh, I was praying. Well, how did I start getting right back to my work? Or, you know, we get distracted so easily from our prayers. We lose our train of thought. We, we start thinking about the cares of the day or whatever. That's, that's where mindless prayers come from. We're kind of thinking about other things and kind of praying at the same time. But here's what happens with, with uh, using the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. You have to engage because it's hard work. 
I mean, it's, it's hard work to, to recite a portion, then truly meditate on the significance, then to say, okay, how do I turn that, you know, compare that to my life, compare that to the world I see around me, what do I need to pray about right now? And then you talk, turn that around in prayer. It's, it's hard work, much harder than simply reciting some religious mantras that we've memorized over the years. So the mindless becomes engaged. I'll tell you, this it's just a godsend for me. Because I so quickly say, oh, I forgot to, no, just engage your mind. And it takes mental power, and that power holds your mind. It keeps you engaged in the prayer. And then I would say, for the heartless, it would be very hard to actually meditate on the words and be talking to this great God and not have your heart moved. I mean, when when I think about these realities, if I just say these realities... It's not that big of a deal. Jesus died for my sins. I was uh, you know, condemned to hell for eternity, but Jesus died for my sins. I can just say those words and feel nothing. But if I'm actually taking the time to meditate on, to think about, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but he's made me alive in Christ, and now I'm connected to God. I have a relationship with God. I, I will experience him for eternity. All of a sudden, my heart is in it. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of a sudden, you are actually into your prayers. I'm not telling you to fake. I'm not telling you to manufacture emotions. I'm telling you that if we use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern, it will tease those emotions out of our hearts. Genuine affections, genuine sadness over our sin, genuine desire to change, genuine desire to be used by God. So the heartless is moved as we use the Lord's prayer. Truly engage our minds, truly meditate on the truths behind them. And so Jesus invites us to change our prayer pattern because it is what will help free us from these old, broken, empty prayer postures, and it will replace it with one that truly glorifies God and is truly pleasing even to our souls. But there is one final point I I want to to give you. I, I believe implicit tied into this Lord's Prayer is that it will not only change your prayer patterns and your prayer life, if we use it, we can let Jesus transform our life, our actual practical life. That point might be slightly different than in your bulletin, by the way. I changed it. I wanted to just simplify it a little bit and really drive it home. The Lord's Prayer, if rightly used, will change your prayer patterns, and it will change your prayer posture. But I'm telling you, it will change your practical life as well. It will change your practical thoughts, your affections, your words, your actions. I think it's so interesting in, in Matthew 6, if, um, if you have that in your, your Bibles, I've got it up here as well. Prayer becomes practical. So in the middle of uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, <clears throat> Jesus says that we should pray this, you know, let this influence our prayers, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
debts here, by the way, is talking about the moral debt of sin. Forgive us our debts, God, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then right when Jesus gets done uh, with the Lord's Prayer, just a verse later, he says, this, is, this isn't a part of the prayer. This is just like commentary that Jesus just throws out there. It's kind of weird until you, you think it through. But he says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man, why did Jesus throw that in there at the end? I think Jesus is kind of given a little tidbit of what will happen to your practical life as your prayer life changes. So you're, you're praying that prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we think, man, God, I have so much to be forgiven of. I, I've got this sin I've committed against you and I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. Then we think in our minds, you know, I'm asking God <clears throat> to forgive me of this, this sin, this gross sin against him. And yet I'm, I'm not forgiving my, my wife. I'm not forgiving my coworker, my neighbor, my church mate. I'm not forgiving that, that friend who did whatever to me. You know, all of a sudden we have these ideas and <coughs> even the way... This, this prayer is worded um, there again in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's saying, I, I've become the type of person who forgives just as God in Christ has forgiven me. I've been forgiven this incredible, unpayable debt of sin, this moral debt of sin, this condemnation that was deserved. I have been forgiven that. And so I have now become the type of person who forgives these far lesser wrongs committed against me. I'll tell you, no matter how bad that wrong was against you, I'm not saying it's not wrong and that it's not terrible and that it doesn't hurt. No matter how bad that wrong was, it is so much less than even one sin committed against God, yet he has forgiven them all. And so in the very practice of prayer, as we follow this pattern, as our, our posture changes before God, coming to him and engaging our minds, engaging our hearts, all of a sudden we, we leave that room no longer clinging on to bitterness and unforgiveness, and we go out ready to show love and acceptance and, and forbearing to the people who wrong us. Your practical life will begin to change. And by the way, you could apply this to everything. You'll praise God in your prayers and your life will start to praise God. You, you will truly be in awe. You'll truly love this God and your life will begin to be a praise to him. Your, your light will so shine before men, if you will. You'll be thanking God for things, and you'll just be a more grateful person, continually seeing God's uh, provision in your life and His grace in your life. You know, you've been confessing sin in your prayers, and you're truly penitent because you're engaging your mind, and you're engaging your heart. You'll start to see victory over sin in your practical life. This really happens, and as we just talked about, it changes your relationships. You're more for, forbearing and forgiving as you pray through these things. And so I, I wonder, in, even in my own life, 
why I have neglected this Lord's prayer for so long. He gave it to the crowds in literally the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And then his disciples specifically ask him, teach us how to pray. We want to pray like you pray. And he tells them and he tells us. And we memorize it. We we've, you know, recite it, but we don't apply it. And so I, I right now, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you, invite you like Jesus have has to, to follow on this prayer journey with me, to follow Jesus on this prayer journey with me. I'm personally committing to spending time every day in prayer, walking through the, the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. I don't plan to make it through the entire Lord's Prayer maybe every day, but you know maybe, maybe the first day I'll take the first two phrases, then the next day I'll take the next two phrases and just to, to really dig into I'm going to do it every day. Why? Because I believe that, that to, at least to some degree, there is a prayer drought. You know how I know? Because I'm thirsty. I am thirsty for more of Jesus in my life. I am thirsty for more of his power being released in, in the people around me and in the world around me. I'm thirsty for more relationship with God. And so I ask you, are you thirsty? There was a prayer drought going on, and Jesus pointed the well, the well out to them. Will you commit with me to prayer? Father God, you are worthy of more than words can express. You're worthy of more praise and thanksgiving than my heart can produce. You're worthy of full obedience, glad obedience. And God, to even attempt to do these things, we know that we can do nothing without you. And so, God, I, I'm praying for, for my own life and the, the lives of my listeners that we would accept Jesus' invitation to start drinking of you, God, in the midst of this prayer drought. Though the people around us may not devote themselves to prayer, this is what Jesus gave us as the source of satisfaction, of sustenance as the source of power in our lives. God, we confess that we have disregarded you and disregarded prayer for too long. And we're asking by your, your power, by your grace to help us to truly commit, to truly Accept Jesus' invitation and engage our hearts and our minds with you in prayer. And then, God, I'm asking you to work miracles through us. As prayer has its promise, a promised effect, God, work miracles through us. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.